And I do invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the last chapter. We have reached the last chapter of 1 Peter. This morning we will be looking at 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. And as you are turning there this morning, you can also um, find the text on the insert inside of your bulletin. Let me just say that 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5 is a whole literary unit. Um, It is a literary unit addressing the office of elder and the responsibilities of the elder. And this week, while I set out, like many preachers have, to cover this in one section, I found it impossible. Um, There is so much richness and so much to say from this text uh, that we're going to camp out here for a while. Um, We are going to be here for at least the next two weeks, if not the next three weeks. Now, I say all of that just to admit to you this morning, we're really only going to focus on a verse and a half. But also to encourage you, if you read ahead... While this is a message to elders, the elders in the church, this is not simply a message from me to the three other gentlemen that bear that title here. It is a message about elders for the church. And because of that, this is a message for all of us today. And so I just want to encourage us, if you hear this and go, oh, it's for elders, I can tune out. Please don't, um, because it bears weight upon us all. And I pray that the Lord will, will bless it um, to our benefit as his church. And really, if we take the letter as a whole, we've been in First Peter for some time now, I would say two major threads have emerged. They have um, woven themselves throughout the book. And the first of these major threads has been uh, the desire and the goal to pursue holiness by holding on to Jesus Christ. And this we saw very clearly in chapter 1, chapter 2, and parts of chapter 3. Um, this idea that we must pursue holiness. And the only way we can is by holding on to Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection, and his ministry. And the second theme that comes out of that, and, and really is a consequence of it. As we as the church and we as Christians will suffer for our beliefs. We will face trials, temptations, persecutions. We will go through difficult days for holding tightly to Jesus. As he was crucified for his teaching and his belief and who he said he was. If they strike the shepherd, how much more will they seek to scatter the sheep? And so the desire or need of holiness compared to the, uh, the suffering that will come because of it. We've really been tracing these threads all throughout this book. And this morning we find a, a bit of a point of intersection as a, a third point or a third theme is introduced. And that, of course, is the topic of leadership in the church, particularly from Peter's message the elders of the church. And what's fascinating about Peter bringing up this topic is while all of us will face these things individually, we will suffer for the name of Christ. We will need to pursue holiness in our lives and we will need Jesus to do that. Collectively, this is also the case. 
We as the church need Christ. We as the church will face suffering. And to guide us in that path, to guide us down that road, God in his ordained plan has given churches elders or leaders. I like the term used in scripture, shepherds. And so this morning, while we read the word of God, I want us to begin to think about who elders are or who they should be and what God calls them to do, knowing that they will help us in both clinging to Christ and in preparing us and walking us through times of suffering. That being said, please follow along with me as I read for us the word of God I do want to read this this section as a whole, so I will start in verse 1 of chapter 5 and read through verse 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger... Be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The grass may wither and the flower may fall, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Let us once again go to him in prayer and ask his blessing upon the reading and hearing of his word. Dear Heavenly Father, You have brought us a wonderful passage this morning, a beautiful text, a challenging text. I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that receive your word this day. May we, as your church, closely guard the office of elder. May we seek to raise up men called to serve you in this way. May we grow the next generation of elders, Lord, even now for this church to be better equipped to face the trials and sufferings that are to come and to help each and every one of us cling to Christ in our pursuit of holiness. Father, ultimately, may we cling to the chief shepherd, the eldest elder, the only one in whom there is hope of completing this task, Jesus Christ. Give us the strength to do these things. Give me wisdom as I now unpack your word before your people. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. It is very important to remember that while Peter is writing to Christians who have been scattered due to persecution, Christians all throughout Asia Minor, These Christians are part of churches. Well, they lost much in their dispersion. They quickly gathered into groups. 
in, in their time, likely in other people's homes, meeting together once a week to break bread, to pray, to discuss the Word of God. And inside these churches, often house churches in this time period, there were those who led. There were elected leaders. We can look through the book of Acts. We can look through um, the, the letters of Paul and, and see that one of the primary jobs of the apostles were to raise up men in these areas, in these towns, because they were spreading the church, they were spreading the message, but then they would leave. And the church needed sustainability when they left. And so they were, were raising churches, they were raising leaders, elders and deacons, they were sending them out to grow the kingdom of God, and it did grow. It, it, it did grow miraculously and, and wonderfully. I love the book of Acts, and especially early on in the early chapters, as this message went forth, thousands day by day were added to the number But Peter, in our passage, reminds us of the necessity of those who lead. The Bible gives very strict requirements for the office of elder. Our denomination gives very strict requirements for the office of elder. I encourage you to look at our book of church order or talk to one of our elders and, and listen to uh, the process we have to which we examine and consider and ordain men to this office. Peter, in our passage, offers himself as an example. And I would argue Peter is the perfect example to teach about the office of elder. I believe he is gifted in leadership. I believe he is gifted in church oversight. And probably most importantly, he is gifted in humility. He provides the life experiences necessary to see what an elder should look like and how an elder should lead. And so this morning, we will simply be looking at the first verse and the first half of verse 2. And in it, we find six headings broken down, three and three. First, we find three qualifications for elders. And Peter uses his own life as an example. One, an elder should follow the model of Peter. We should look to his life when considering one to the office of elder. Two, an elder should or must be a witness to the suffering of Christ. Again, when considering one to serve in the office of elder, they must be a witness to the suffering of Christ. And then three, an elder must be a partaker of the glory to be revealed. And so in verse one, we get three qualifications for elders. And then in the first half of verse two, we get three responsibilities of elders. And so we look to who is qualified for this role and then what should they be doing? And again, we get three points. He says... Elders must shepherd the flock of God. Elders must care for those among them. And elders must exercise oversight. 
And so three qualifications and three responsibilities. And now you're starting to see why we may be spending the next three weeks on this passage. We've not even got through verse two and we're already at a six point sermon. And so with that, would you please follow along with me as we hear how Peter's life is an example of eldership. And as we seek to understand what those elders should be doing among us. And we'll begin by considering Peter's own example. Now, I do need to say, um, because it's a little unclear in the English, sometimes the word elder simply means older. And and quite often it is used in that way. Typically it was. Um, the, The men who fit this role tended to be older men. Not always the case. As the youngest elder here, and as one who relates to Timothy really well, let no one despise you for your youth, know that that's not what's being said here. It's not saying those in the congregation who are older, but Peter specifically here is addressing the spiritual leaders of those churches. He, he uses the word presbyteros, which we translate as presbytery or presbyterian which is where we start to get our system of government from. And so he specifically is addressing those placed in leadership in the church, not necessarily because they're older, but because they fit the qualifications in First and Second Timothy and Titus. And Peter is describing to this church or encouraging them and reminding them what that should look like. And the first example is a fascinating one. Peter says, look at my own life. Look at me. Why would Peter be a good example for what an elder should be? Well, let's count the ways. Peter is not unfamiliar with the struggles and challenges that come with leadership. Peter could have, and it's interesting to note here, he could have written them and said, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, writes to you elders. He had that role. He is an apostle. He had met with Jesus. He had been commissioned by Jesus and given a divinely unique role, only given to 13 men. But he doesn't. He does not use that title. He does not claim on that authority. Instead, he says, Peter, an elder like those among you. Peter understood what was happening in these churches. Peter understood the struggles and the challenges and the difficulties because he himself served in this role. He wanted the church to see that he was right there with them, serving alongside them for the kingdom of God. He's claiming their struggles as his own. He's he's writing to them, and we'll see, Lord willing, as we uh, begin 2 Peter, he writes to them again because he cares deeply for them and is invested in their lives. And let me just say that as you, church, look for elders, as you look for those to place over you for spiritual oversight, look for men who are not removed from the people, but share in your sufferings. Elders must be very careful to not mentally or academically separate themselves from their people. There's not an isolation that happens where it's the elders and then us. And I mentioned it briefly a moment ago, but 
one of the other aspects, and I, I don't want us to miss this in Peter's own life that serves as a qualification for elder, and to me this may be the most important responsibility or role, is repentance. Looking at Peter's own life, as he uses himself as an example, we must conclude that elders must be good at repentance. And boy, did Peter learn that one the hard way. Think back to his night warming by the fire. Hey, you're one of those Jesus followers. No, I don't know that Jesus. A little while later on, yeah, your accent and your demeanor and your hair and your eye color, you're, you're one of them. You're one of the Hebrews. I don't know what you're talking about. I know you were with him. I saw you. And the third time he cursed, and the rooster crowed. And I forget which gospel says it, but it may be Luke. He looked up, and who did he lock eyes with? Jesus. Three times within earshot of his Savior, the one whom he had followed and sacrificed and loved, the one to whom he said, I will die before I, forget, before I forsake you. Three times in Christ's presence, deny him. The rooster crows, he goes off and weeps. This moment and the following repentance, the repentance that comes later, the edge of the water changes the life of Peter. His failure and his following repentance helps him to better serve the people of God because he knew what it was like to come up short and need God's forgiveness. And so let me just encourage you, church, look for elders who are quick to forgive. Secondly, another characteristic to look for in elders. Elders must be a witness to the suffering of Christ. While not present at the crucifixion per se, Jesus says all had abandoned him, Peter knew well the suffering of Christ. He knew the treatment that Jesus received at the hands of the Jewish people. He knew of the torture given to him by the Romans. He fully understood the cost of being a Christian after being run out of towns for three years, going without a home, living on meager rations, having no place to lay their head at night, being chased and bombarded by people who simply wanted to touch Jesus and being overwhelmed with the tasks of ministry, Peter understood well the weight of being a Christian. He himself received suffering for the sake of Christ again and again and again. And then if we go into the Acts and we go into the, the, the start of the New Testament church, Peter again serves as that example, sometimes positively, sometimes negatively. And so again, let me address you, dear church. You do not want leaders, you do not want elders who do not know what it means to suffer for Christ. If the promise in 1 Peter is that you will suffer, make sure you have people who understand what it means to suffer. 
Because they will better be able to relate to you and they will better be able to care for you and they will better be able to comfort you in those times that you are suffering as well. And then one more, one more qualification to look for in the office of elder. An elder must be a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. What does that mean? This to me, oh, this is so precious and this is so, so, so important. What Peter is saying in this statement is he is a sinner forgiven by the shed blood of Jesus Christ and a member of the kingdom of heaven. And he is eagerly looking forward to the second coming of Christ in which all things will be made new. What a rich statement. Peter knows his flaws and shortcomings. He knows he has missed the mark. And, and let me just pause real quickly. Consider this. We all have shortcomings and failures. I, as your pastor and as an elder, have shortcomings and failures. But by God's divine counsel, none of mine have been recorded as his word to serve for generations an example of negative thinking and action. Consider the weight of that in Peter's life. Peter, again and again, we go to him and go, oh, Peter, not again. Really, you, you didn't want to sit with the Jews. You've been through all this and, and Paul's going to have to oppose you to your face. Thankfully, in God's divine wisdom, none of our sins and struggles are recorded in a book for us to use as, now don't be like them. But also, by God, God's divine plan, Peter was. And yet, even so, even despite that, even despite all of that's happened in his life, Peter is excited about Christ's return. He is looking forward to that day. The way he preaches, the way he leads, the, the way he pleads, even here and now with the elders of the church, be excited about Jesus coming back. We are not here to build little kingdoms for ourselves. We at this church are not seeking to grow Christ the Redeemer for the sake of Christ the Redeemer. We are here seeking to grow Christ the Redeemer for the sake of our Savior. Church, you must have elders who are excited about the return of Jesus. If you're looking at someone for this office and they do not fit that responsibility, pass over them, please. I'm not saying they're not a Christian. I'm not saying... That they are not a dear brother in Christ. But I am saying they are unfit for this role. Because I know all too well. My excitement. My lack of excitement. My mood. My demeanor comes across to you. And it is assimilated to some of you. When I don't feel well. You don't feel well. When, when I'm in a blah mood. It comes across in my preaching. And it affects you. I know because I get those emails. And rightly so. Please send them. But as many of you have told me, when I am excited, you are excited. It comes across in your leaders. It must come across in your leaders. And so now that um, we've been sufficiently humbled by that list, let's turn to another list which will humble us even more. What should an elder be? We've seen. Now let's ask, what should an elder do? And in that, we get three more tasks. Shepherd the flock of God. Serve those that are among you. And exercise oversight. The first 
thing that an elder should do, the first way that an elder should be an elder is by shepherding the flock. And oh, does this one point deserve its own sermon, its own sermon series? We could do some biblical theology tracing this theme throughout all of Scripture. This could be like a two-year Bible study. But let me point to just a few ways, just a few ways in a few moments on how an elder shepherds. But even before I do that, please don't miss these very important words. Shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God. Elders must know who they are shepherding. You're shepherding the king's sheep, the high king. You are caring for his lambs. We are to know as shepherds who is shepherding us, the great shepherd. We ourselves are but sheep, his sheep. We belong to God. And a lot of trouble happens in churches when people forget this. Things go wrong all the time when we start calling you our sheep. Now, you are our sheep, and I love you dearly as my sheep. But ultimately, you're God's sheep. And so whatever happens to me in this life, you belong to him. And so I, I don't want to miss that one point because that is so important. Um, that is so easy to be led astray when we miss that. But elder, shepherd the flock. And we could look in a few places of Scripture to think about what a shepherd does. One of my favorite um, passages of Scripture is, is around the, the story of David and Goliath. David has is, is come and um, he has declared his hat in the ring. I'll go fight Goliath. <laughs> and he, It's almost nonchalant. It, it very much is that. I'll, I'll do it. What are you all sitting around for? And they're, David, you're not qualified. David, you're not fit. David, you can't do it. You can't even put the armor on. 1 Samuel 17, 34 and 35. David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took the lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Praise God, there's not a lot of lions or bears attacking the church today. I don't know how to fight a lion. I didn't know they had beards. But we do fight against dangerous teachings. Dangerous thoughts and beliefs and practices that can creep in and much like lions and bears devour the sheep. In fact, what is the devil himself described as but a lion Ready to devour, devour, prowling around. The elders amongst you must be equipped to protect you from that which seeks to harm you. And here I'm thinking uh, majorly um, spiritually and theologically. They must understand the truths of God so they can protect you from that which can rob your joy or worse, send you down a path of works righteousness. Consider Paul's letters, his letters to Galatia, his letters to Corinth. What was he doing but correcting bad theology? Protecting them from the lions and bears of bad teaching, of false views and dangerous doctrine. 
And so one of the primary responsibilities of the elders are to protect you, O flock. Another major responsibility we find actually comes in Jesus' restoration of Peter. I mentioned it earlier, three times he denies Christ. The rooster crows, he sees Jesus, he runs off and he weeps. After the resurrection, they're sitting together. They've, they've caught this great mess of fish and they're eating. And then Jesus goes on the assault with Peter. Peter, do you love me? Oh, you know I love you, Lord. Feed my lambs. And the second time, Christ says to him, Peter, do you love me? And he says, oh, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. And then yet again, Jesus comes to him a third time. Oh, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. What Jesus is saying in this passage to Peter as he's restoring him and bringing him back. Elders must feed the people of God. And how do we feed the people of God? Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Elders must be equipped to study and to proclaim the truths of God. We must diligently seek the, to understand the scriptures and to lead you in them for your own benefit, for our own sake. Again, Jesus to Peter, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. We must be prepared to feed you. And boy, sometimes, let's, let's be honest, Sometimes that's a force feeding. Sometimes it's much like with a child that doesn't want something and it's like, you're going to eat it. I know you don't want it, but you need it right now. This medicine is the only thing that's going to make you better. And we love you. And we know sometimes you don't like it, but you need it. And here's a, here's a little secret as an aside. Um, God has to do that to us too. It, it's not like, again, it's not this separation where you're like, and the elders get to feed everyone, you know, their medicine. At least you're getting the hand of an elder. Most of the time we're getting it from God. I was reading a, a story this week of a pastor who um, God, um, David Murray, uh, twice in his lifetime gave him blood clots in his lungs put him on the brink of death because he was overworking himself. And after the second time of not listening to God, he finally got the point and it was like, okay, God, I hear you. So do know, dear church, that we must be fed on the word of God. And there are so many more ways. And again, I said that this deserves its own series on its own, that um, pastors, elders are to be shepherds. Um, but I'll just, I'll just say this. Um, the Psalm, 23rd Psalm comes to mind. And now this is speaking about God. But if you want a really good study of what a shepherd looked like, um, because most of us don't understand shepherds, um, I want you, um, or come see me and I'll get it for you to get a little book. And that's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. This is a very little book by Philip Keller, a shepherd looks at Psalm 23 and is a beautiful picture of someone who has cared for sheep actually reading the analogies given in the shepherd's psalm and then applying them practically. And so if you really want to get a good sense of how, sh how 
elders should be shepherds. Get this book and read about how God serves as that and know that that is part of what we are to do and how we're to serve in that role. But I commend that to you. A shepherd looks at Psalm 23. It's a little book by Philip Keller. And again, I encourage you to get it. And and if um, you'd like it but don't have the means, please come see me. I'd be happy to provide it for you because I think it would bless you um, and it would better help you see what this shepherding means. So now let's return back to um, our, the responsibilities of elders. Uh, first, they are to shepherd the flock. Secondly, and, and this is a little clause right in the middle. It's easy to miss because um, it, it's, a tra- it's transitioning. But shepherd the flock of God that is among you. This is our second responsibility of, of elders um, in this passage. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And this goes back to what Peter said earlier when he claims to be a fellow elder. Elders do not lead in front of their people. Elders lead from among their people. And I believe I've used this analogy before, but one of the most important lessons I learned while serving as a teacher and a youth leader and assistant pastor at Redeemer Church was given to me by Pastor Nathan Curry. This lesson has to do with how you teach others. And he had a three-step process. He said, step one, I will do something and you will watch me do it. So I will teach you how to do it and do it rightly. Step two looked like we will do this together. I will help you as you do this to really ingrain in you the right way to accomplish this. And then step three is you will do it and I will watch you, checking over you to see that you have learned your lesson. And this can be applied to anything, to to, um, various skills, whether spiritually or, or practically speaking, but it is a good tool to leadership. But what it really showed me, and as he demonstrated it in his life, people will, will understand far better, and people will listen far better, and, and people will be more willing to do what you say when you pick up the shovel too. No one really wants to, to listen to a supervisor that stands over there back against the wall and says, go pick up that shovel and go dig that hole and make sure you do it right. But many of us are, are very quick when you see someone digging a hole. What you doing? Digging a hole. Why are you digging a hole? Because a pipe is burst and there's water coming out of the ground and we've got people in the church that need to go to the bathroom. Just thinking of an example that probably would never happen. The best way to lead is to lead amongst the people. And then I need again to offer a warning here as related to this. Elders must be content with their own flock. Shepherd those of God among you. We are Presbyterian and so as Presbyterians we have responsibilities to our presbytery. We have responsibilities to our denomination and so... Our minds are set on you as our church, but as our presbytery and as our denomination as a whole. It's part of our government. But it is very easy for people to get into this mindset of, boy, that church has a whole lot less problems than ours does. Man, they've got it together. They're more established. Things are working for them. And we we get this grass is always greener mindset. And it can be very easy to, to... start neglecting our own responsibilities as we longingly look out there. And I heard it last night on, um, I believe it was on the television. Always remember the grass is always greener, not on the other side, but where you water it. You want greener grass? Get out the water. 
You want to find contentment in, in your job, and this just goes for everyone, not just elders. You want to find contentment where you work. You want to find contentment in what you do, what God's called you to do, your labor, your task. Water it. Tell God, God, help me find joy in this. It is not very joyful right now. God, bless this work, bless this labor, bless this effort for your sake. And I guarantee you he will do so and you'll go, ah, they can have their grass. It's, it's a lot more grass. That's a lot more to cut anyway. I'm fine with my little plot here. So the, that's secondly that elders must lead from among you or those among you. And then finally and thirdly, the way that elders are to lead is by exercising oversight. And the Greek word here uh, literally could be translated as either overseer or bishop. Um, in fact, many of your translations may translate this as bishop. And uh, one commentator says that um, these words should be as synonymous, overseer, bishop, elder. And really what this connotates is a spiritual and physical guardianship. And while we've talked uh, much about this type of leadership, it is very important for elders to guide the vision and direction of the church. We are, are to oversee the, the life and the, the health of the church. We are to, to look ahead and, and got through studying God's word and in prayer by the power of his spirit to ask, where do you want us to go as your people? And then to see us, your people, go down that road. And because we can't get to verse 4 today, uh, let me offer one final warning and then I'm going to close with two encouragements. Um, none of this can be done apart from Christ. If you heard any of this this morning as the people of God or even worse as my elders and, and you're kind of broken and, and beat down at this point, and yes, you should be because I am um, after reading this, um, you cannot do it. Church, we cannot do it. <laughs> Apart from Christ. It's not possible. It will not be done. It will turn into our kingdom. It will turn into our sheep. It will turn into our vision. And it will fail. Because it's not from God. And so I want to encourage you with that. And then I want to give you two specific points of application. First uh, to the church. And then um, also to my fellow elders. It's kind of tough having a passage that directly applies to four of you in the room. So, dear elders, do not be discouraged by this passage. This is a daunting task, and I, I confess I have wrestled with it all week. I, I've texted your elders several times, praying for you. This is weighty. In my own life, looking at this list is not often like looking in a mirror, but it's much like getting your yearly physical it's finding out that your cholesterol is up, your blood pressure is high, and you've got some funny marks on your skin that you really need to get checked out. It, it, it's looking in that mirror and going, yep, I know what it's supposed to look like, but it sure doesn't. But let me offer you this encouragement today. Even though it is done imperfectly, you, the elders of Christ the Redeemer, do exemplify the characteristics of this list. Whether you think you do or not. In fact, despite the fact that you don't think you do. <laughs> Let me just call a spade a spade. The people of Redeemer and Christ the Redeemer would not have ordained each one of you, or myself for that matter, if we did not display in some way these characteristics. For we would have not been fulfilled, fit for this role. 
So take heart when you read this passage and passages like this. And if nothing else, be encouraged that Peter's the one telling you. Because he didn't fit this list. Oh, if anyone in the New Testament, if any of the apostles was to preach this message, Peter's the perfect one for us. But the fact that he uses himself should teach us perfection is not the qualification, but giftedness, humility, and by God's grace alone, sanctification is. His working in us. And I will again admit to you as the church, I needed to add this section in more for myself than my brothers. I was compelled to cut this into a three-part sermon to make sure we heard that today. Now for you, the church, and let's get off my, my brothers and let's, let's talk to us as a whole. Please be encouraged. Be encouraged by God's grace that he has brought you these men. Pray for them. Pray for more elders. Men of this church, examine your hearts and see if lists like these and lists given in Timothy and Titus describe your life. However God has gifted you, look for ways to serve in the church and to advance the kingdom of God. We need you. We need more. We need more elders and deacons in this church. Not to say that the ones that you've got are insufficient. They are rock stars. But we need more people to fit in this role. And they'll come from you who are in this congregation. Or the Lord will bring us more. As elders, we are often prone to bearing other burdens, other people's burdens. But what I'm learning about elders is it's really hard for us to offer our burdens up to share with you. So that's why I plea with you to pray for more. Pray for more godly men. Help us to share the burden, the blessing of leading God's church. And please, please, please don't hear any of this as a complaint. We all love what we get to do. We consider it a privilege and an honor to be a part of this church and to serve as elders. But we need each other, church. As the title subtly hints, both parties, church and elders, need our shepherd Jesus Christ. I didn't say follow the shepherds. I said follow the shepherd. That was not grammatical. That was intentional. For it is only by his work that the church will grow. Not by the effort of us men. But by his grace. We're given the wonderful opportunity to be the means that he sometimes uses to draw others to himself. And that is one of the most pre precious privileges to serving as an elder in Christ's church. And I'll just say it one last time. It is his church. Would you please bow with me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the patience of your people. I thank you for this weighty passage this morning. I thank you for this word that teaches us that we need leaders in our lives. And Lord, while this passage is specific to the office of the elder, I, it would be negligent of me not to praise you uh, for the deacons that we have, these ordained men who also bear the burdens of this church and do so cheerfully and joyfully. They do so for the sake of your kingdom and not their own. Oh Lord, would you continue to grow this church? Call your men out of your congregation to serve in these roles. Help us to bear one another's burdens, not for our sake, not for our church, but for yours. 
Oh Lord, give us strength to carry out that which is before us. We pray all of this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.